Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we chat hockey with Ken Weeb of Sportsnet.ca. A lot of jet talk about the present and future. And then we are going to talk to the head coach and GM of Valor FC. That is Philip DeSantos as they're going to Vancouver Island to face the defending champions this weekend. We'll preview the action on the podcast. As we're joined by Ken Weeb of Sportsnet.ca. Ken, how are you doing tonight? Christian, fantastic. Thank you. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Uh, the the Jets going into Florida here, they've got this really impossible odds to make the postseason with four games against really tough teams here coming up. But uh, what what are you looking to see out of this team in this four-game stretch beyond trying to stay alive in the playoffs? Well, I certainly will be looking for uh, effort levels, uh, something we've seen on the on the last road trip. But, I mean, again, <laughs> you're right. I mean, doing it against the Ottawa Senators and Montreal Canadiens is a little bit different than rolling through Florida and then having to play. If you happen to survive the weekend, well, by the way, you've got the New York Rangers and Carolina Hurricanes on your plate. So uh, it'll be interesting. I mean, I, we're obviously interested in deployment. I mean, Blake Wheeler will be coming back, so... Uh, Morgan Barron's had himself uh, some nice outings here after his promotion. And, you know, Dylan Sandberg's a guy who's played excellent hockey. But uh, I'm interested to see how the Jets respond, you know, against two of the best teams in the NHL. And uh, in case you didn't think they had anything to play for, uh, nobody in the Atlantic wants to eventually be third or fourth or fall into a wild card spot. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the Jets perform. I mean, obviously, Connor Hellebuck went back to back. And probably the one thing about the postponement here, Christian, uh, of Wednesday's game is that, you know, they're probably going to ride Hellebuck back to back again. But same thing. I would say the uh, shot quality and shot volume might be a little different than what he saw against Montreal and Ottawa. Well, yeah, Florida scores a lot of goals. They are offensively dangerous team. Now they can get into some run and guns. They've won a couple games, seven, six recently that they fell behind big early, but still came back to win. So for the jets defensively, then they, they looked better defensively the last couple of games, but again, against not, not awesome teams. How impressed have you been speaking of defense with Dylan Sandberg and the way he's played so far in his limited time in the NHL? Yeah, uh, tremendous. I mean, I actually I liked him in his first uh, you know round, uh, first round with the Jets here after the initial recall. Uh, obviously, tough timing for him with that hand injury. Right when it seemed like he was starting to just sort of not solidify his spot necessarily, but to show that he was in the conversation to solidify a spot. And uh, I've been really impressed uh, as I wrote about it to CJB.com today. I mean, this is a guy who had every reason to feel sorry for himself and start to wonder, I mean, maybe this is just not going to be my year. Uh, anytime you're at, you know, you're in the last two minutes of practice and you're in one of those drills where you're supposed to make it look like there's a lot of effort and you're really not doing a whole lot in terms of puck battles and he suffers that high ankle sprain with, you know, ironically, his moose defense partner, Johnny Kovacevic. Um, yeah, I mean, that would have been a tough, pill to swallow for anyone uh and then he comes back and then gets himself into shape and plays some games plays some solid hockey and then gets his chance and then gets hurt again but then goes back to the moose plays 16 games at a high level and jumps back in and i think he's just been absolutely fantastic and uh you know again he's not an offensive you know huge offensively gifted guy like Vili Hainala, but he does a lot of things with the puck that translate well to the NHL game where you know he's going to get some points like he did the other night but he's also just such an impactful player in terms of what he does in terms of his vision passing ability 
and the physical nature. I mean, what, what have we talked about all year? The Jets are trying to get bigger on the back end. So, well, Dylan Sandberg is not only a big, strong guy at six foot four, he plays with a bit of an edge as well. So I've been really impressed by his composure uh, and his will, you know, ability to move the puck is also at a very high level. Again, I, I would say his offensive ceiling would not be in the same range as Billy Hainala, but his defensive game is a lot more advanced. So, uh, but as you also know, I mean, I see a place on the Jets defense core for both Hainala and Sandberg, which is probably the next step. And will we see that at some point during the last eight games, maybe after the Jets are officially eliminated? I hope so, but uh, it remains to be seen. And going forward then, Ken, obviously we're still talking about this year, but hard not to think about next year right now if, for, if you're following or, or cheering for the Jets. But where's the room for having Hanela and Sandberg and potentially Stanley all in the lineup on the same night? Does that mean we should expect someone to be moved in the offseason? Well, no way, to, no way to keep them all and have them all playing. There's no doubt about that. I mean, you know, Brendan Dillon moving over to the right side, I think, is probably a you know, potentially a preemptive strike there. You know, we've talked about someone needing to move over. Dylan Sandberg's played some right right side defense this year. Hanela has done that as well. Uh, I actually have liked Dylan over on the right side quite a bit. Uh, I thought that that pairing with Dylan Sandberg has been excellent. There's kind of like a little bit of a twin towers and a little bit of, you know, there's a lot of physical nature within the, within the pairing itself. Uh, I've liked them together. You know, obviously Nate Schmidt's back on the left side here with Neil Pionk. Uh, their results have been a bit mixed, but have, they've had some good showings as well. But yeah, I mean, if they're going to make room for those two for sure, and potentially three, and I would even say Johnny Kovacevic has got to be, you know, in the mix for at least the seventh defenseman job, Christian. I mean, he's not going to be waivers exempt next year. Uh, and I would say, given the given the inadequate blue lines around the NHL, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not certain he would clear waivers. So... Uh, that means there's going to have to be some moves. I mean, how drastic those will be and who will they involve. I mean, we're going to have months to speculate about that. And it all depends on who's willing, right? I mean, who's willing to go um, and, and how big is the deal, right? I mean, obviously, we know there could be some trade wins circling around a certain centerman who's out of the lineup with the Jets as well. So uh, I think it'll be very interesting. But to me, um, we've talked about this before. I mean, if you're if you're a Jets fan, you say, "Well, trade Nate Schmidt." You know, he makes the most money. Well, guess what? That also makes him the hardest to trade. And sorry, when I say the most money, I mean in terms of the guys that the Jets are are more likely to consider moving. We know that Morrissey and Pionk make more, but um, yeah, I mean, Dylan Demello is had a solid year. Uh, I like a lot of what he brings to the table. Uh, he's not a big point producer, and he's not an overly physical player, but he does a lot of things really well. But he also makes $3 million, so, and he would also be appealing to a lot of teams with, you know, because of the term on his deal. So I still think that Dylan DeMello is, is maybe the most likely to be moved, but, I mean, it's not because the Jets want to move him. It's because he's probably the easier guy to package um, when it comes to what they want to do on their back end. But, again, that's not to say that it would be a certainty by any stretch, but I would say if I had to, you know, if I was doing the rankings, I would probably put him at, at most likely to be moved. I don't like that personally because, again, handedness can be whatever you want it to be, but they don't have a lot of right shots. And I think it's inarguable that Josh Morrissey, I know he's had a great year this year, but I think he, a part of that is because his best numbers have been playing with Dylan DeMello the last couple seasons. Sure, Christian, and I understand the argument just fine, but uh, I, my counter would be, 
how how big is or sizable is the drop off if you have Kovacevic in that role? I know he's a younger player with not as much experience, but this is not a 20 year old coming out of junior, uh, and you spend the extra two million on a forward that would help bolster the depth that has not been at a high enough level this year. So if you're replacing um, Demello with either Kovacevic or Hanela or Sandberg, and you're able to spend that two million dollars on a forward group that didn't score enough. I wonder if the net gain would be there. So, I mean, again, I, I like a lot Fair of what enough. Dylan Dylan DeMello does. But, again, I, I just, you know, you're looking around and saying, well, it's not going to be Morrissey. It's probably not going to be, be Pionk because you would be selling at a, you know, reduced rate based on a bad season. But he had two great seasons before that. So, I would say Neil Pionk's a great bounce-back candidate, right? So... And again, if if the Jets do end up considering a move for Shifley, is it necessarily bringing a forward back? I mean, I've, I've talked about this in other times, maybe not together with you, but you know, maybe the Philadelphia Flyers would be a team that is also looking to do what Winnipeg is doing, right? They're a team that feels like they're they've underachieved, but they're going to try to go for it next year. So, you know, if Mark Shifley is a guy that would be appealing to a Chuck Fletcher, who also happens to have two very defensively conscious centermen in Sean Couturier and Kevin Hayes, well, maybe Mark putting up 80 to 90 points would make sense for him. Uh, you know, a guy who had a tough year for Philadelphia is Ivan Provorov, a guy who uh, the Jets would be quite familiar with from his time with the Brandon Wheat Kings. Uh, he's had a tough year himself, but, you know, first pairing potential, right? Here's a guy that isn't far removed from being maybe on the periphery of a Norris Trophy discussion, you know, so... And then, you know, if that happens, then they're going to have to address the forward depth and scoring. So uh, I could see a bigger kind of blockbuster type deal between those two teams. I mean, Travis Konechny would be a guy who was interested, you know, the Jets were interested in his draft year uh, and then sort of see what happens from there. But uh, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, maneuvering. And, and I mean, the rumor will will be swirling, uh, you know, with a lot of, uh, you know, blizzard like conditions that we uh, thought we were going to be getting here the last couple of days uh, but again uh, like I said I'm not out here advocating to move Dylan DeMello I, I just think that he would be a guy who's appealing to a lot of teams and you're right I mean Josh Morrissey is a guy nobody had more turbulence when it came to a rotation of defense partners over the previous two years when Josh wasn't playing at his best so I can understand you know, the reluctance, but I would also counter too, Christian, like Nate Schmidt played with Josh Morrissey for a good chunk of the first, at least third of the season. And Josh was also playing at an elite level at that time. So uh, I think that Josh is the kind of guy who also makes his defense partner better. But again, like I said, I'm not advocating for DeMello to be moved. I just think that if the Jets are looking to get bigger and stronger, I would say that Kovacevic is a guy who's both bigger and stronger. Maybe he's not quite as adept at the puck moving uh, ability, but he's a bigger guy. Maybe they clean up the front of the net a little bit better than the Jets are doing. And again, I'm not pointing the finger at DeMello there uh, because the defense core as a whole hasn't done a great job at that, uh, you know, in that spot. But that also is more of a five-man unit issue that has led to all of the grade A chances uh, against for Connor Hellbuck and Eric Conry when he's been in the net. Get you out here on this, talking about the future. Morgan Barron was a, a player we didn't really know much about. He hadn't played a ton of time in the NHL, and then he comes here, plays on the fourth line, and suddenly, playing with Nikolai Ehlers and Paul Stasny, he has an awesome game Monday in Montreal. How interested are you in seeing 
if that's something that they can build on for the future, for Baron is actually someone that can can elevate the team's off offensive game, or if it was just oh they they had a good game against a bad team. Yeah, I would say that uh, Morgan Barron has, has impressed in a limited sample size uh, even before he got the promotion. Uh, big, strong guy, moves pretty well. Uh, he can shoot the puck. He'd had some really good, glorious scoring chances previously. Uh, he'd had a couple of bump-up shifts. Um, I, I liked his finishing ability, obviously, and not just the shot itself, which is off the post and in, but in, in that situation when you're the trailer and you haven't played with a guy like Nikolai Ehlers, it would have been easy to over-pursue the puck and not leave the proper spacing that allowed him to have the quality chance where Ehlers was able to back up the other defender and create the separation that was required. But uh, I like the passing ability that he's shown on his assist. Uh, he's a really smart guy, right? So again, it's natural to compare to Andrew Kopp because it's the guy he was traded for as part of the package. Uh, you know, he's got a you know Ivy League guy, went to a high prestigious school. He's got a lot of hockey sense. I think he's a smart two-way player. But again, Andrew Kopp is on the verge of 20 goals. So I would say based on one excellent game, I would maybe, uh, you know, use a little, you know, to borrow Blake Wheeler's analogy, pump the brakes a little bit on that. He's immediately going to be a top six player. But I really do see a future for Morgan Barron potentially as the left winger beside Adam Lowry and Mason Appleton on kind of one of those identity lines that can give you double digits in terms of goal scoring production and also play against the other team's best. So uh, I think he's an intriguing player. Uh, I, I want to see more of him as well. And I think he's, you know, warranted an opportunity. And, you know, you and I have talked about Yevgeny Svechnikov a lot this year. Uh, there have been flashes and obviously his game winning goal the other night was a, you know, a great example of the skill that we've seen a lot in practice that hasn't translated into a lot in the game situation, but that's a high-end goal by a talented player. So, you know, Svechnikov has also shown well at times in the top six, but is back on the fourth line right now. So the Jets have some options, and those are the kind of guys they're going to need to get contributions from, whether they're on the second, third, or fourth line. Uh, right now, he's earned an opportunity to stay with uh, Nikolai Ehlers, and uh, it'll be interesting to see, again, same thing, like you mentioned. Can he do it against the Florida Panthers and the and the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning and maybe against the Rangers? You know, teams that are all pretty good at defending at times. So I would like to see it. Uh, but I've liked what I've seen from him so far, and I think there's a lot of potential. I mean, he's going to be an NHL player. Uh, how impactful he's going to be now, that will be up to him. I mean, he's got a pretty good head on his shoulders. He's a very articulate guy, smart. Uh, let's see how that translates when he gets a little bit more run here. Can appreciate your time as always. Thanks for this, and uh, go enjoy the Blue Jays. <laughs> Will do, Christian. Enjoy your uh, long weekend here. Thanks for having me, and uh, you take care. Valor FC continues its 2022 campaign tomorrow, or not tomorrow, Sunday afternoon at Pacific FC. It is a 3 o'clock start out on Vancouver Island. The defending champs taking on Valor FC, and we're joined by the head coach and GM of Valor FC, Philip DeSantos. Philip, welcome back to the show. Christian, how are you? I'm doing well. First of all, with the weather being what it's been this week, how has that impacted preparation for this weekend's game? Hey, what a week, I'm telling you. It's been uh, it's been crazy, you know, trying to, uh, to get a proper training um, conditions. It's been challenging, but we're... We're doing what we can, and we've had to adapt. And now we're just uh, we'll keep adapting until until we leave to um, to Victoria, where we're gonna find better better soccer conditions. So uh, these are circumstances that are out of everyone's control. So we just have to go with it and stay positive. And the guys have been good, and they have uh, 
a strong mindset. So um, we'll be ready for the game on Sunday. So did you have to move from in, outside to inside? What did you have to do to, to try to adapt? Christian, I told the guys I didn't want to speak about it because I feel that, you know, it's these are, are things that are out of common and I don't want I don't want this to uh to be to be in our heads. So we we haven't had the chance to even train in in, uh, in indoor facilities because they've been closed. So we've done uh, we've done what we can with our in our in, in our facility with the gym and trying to get the art rate going and doing a a few gym sessions and doing a lot more of, you know, what would be the normal on-field tactical acquisition. We've tried to do it through, uh, through videos, but, um, but like I tell uh, the players, like this is uncommon situation. So we have to, to take uncommon measures and, uh, and I want us to, uh, to, uh, to just take it as it is and and stay positive and and keep going. So, uh, we're, we'll be ready for the game, and we'll, we, we won't look back and say that it's because of, of the conditions or because we hadn't had the chance to, to, uh, to train like we normally do. I want us to go and go with the confidence that we could, we could get something out of that game. It's a tough one because anywhere, any league, any, any sport, when you, you travel to the home of the defending champions, it will be a difficult match. We need to be at our best, and I'm convinced that we'll be where we need to be coming Sunday. Let's go back to the opener last week in Edmonton. You lead for, for much of the match. You give up a goal basically on the last play of the game as uh, uh, Edmonton yeah. salvages a draw. You get a point out of it, but I was reading post-game quotes from uh, Stefan Sabar who said it felt like a loss just because you were so close to a win. How does a loss or a, how does a draw like that to start off the season, how does that feel uh, when you were so close to a win? Uh, it's it's uh, it's us being so close to the win and us feeling that we also did did what we had to do. We had played until then a solid road game, um, and then and then um, you know there's a series of events that led into to that final action. And I don't I, I feel we didn't deal with that moment well. I feel I feel that we you know we were a little bit over over excited with with the space that was given to us because they were throwing bodies forward and instead of managing those final moments we almost went after that second goal so of course there's disappointment um and and it did it did feel like the we we went through this week and it it felt like you know we we were robbed of, of two additional points and this is a league where it's not it's not easy to go and get three points on the road. Um, we add them, they slip, so that means we're going to need to go and get them somewhere else, and we um, we'll need to do it at some point in the season. Now we have to also remember that we we didn't make the playoffs by one point, and that last year the team um, only only got two wins on the road. Uh, so it was important to to look at it also and see the silver lining of of it where you started the season we had three um three we have three games on the road we have a targeted amount of points we want to get out of those three games and we're still on track for that obviously saying that we would get nine points that would be the perfect scenario but we as coaches try to have a you know an approach where we're we're moderate in the way we we look at things and we said if we would come out of this road trip of three games with with x amount of points it would be already very good 
it would be a, a playoff run. Um, and we're on track for that. So we just need to keep pushing right now. So looking ahead to Sunday's game against the defending champions, what's your scattering report on them? Did they make any big changes in the offseason, or are they still looking like a team that could probably repeat? The, 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 their first game speaks for itself, right? It's a team that played at home against a very good Hamilton team, and uh, they won that game. It's a very efficient team, so they defend very well. They're they're very committed to to their defensive organization, and they have pieces that could uh, hurt you offensively. So we'll need to be at our best. We're going to need to be cohesive. We'll need to have very high levels of concentration and focus. And um, when you you play against a good team, your margin of error is is minimal, and we know that. But we also know. And we also uh, identified moments and elements of their game that we could exploit. And we're going there. Um, and I told that to the guys this week. We have to go with, with no, no, no complex. We have to go to play them. And knowing that we, we could win that, that match, we have to go with the confidence that, um, that it's a game that we, we could go out there and, and maybe defy a lot of the odds um, that that circulate around, you know, the league and the public opinion. So um, I, I feel that we have the tools and the elements to do it, and we we need to have the confidence that it's it's another game. There's three points for the grab, and and that's the mindset that the guys have. Do you have a favorite road stadium to play in? It's a, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. I think that. Uh, um, I think that Pacific does have a good setup. Um, I, I don't. I like to play home. Honestly, I, you know, uh, if I have to choose a, a road field to play, maybe, you know, Ottawa's a, a, a good little stadium. I spent a few seasons there, so I'm very familiar with the, the facility. So when I arrive there, it looks like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with things. So that would be one, uh, but apart from that, not not really. You know, it's an in and out. Normally, you go in, you play, and um, and you come out out of there. So uh, right now, again, I, I speak like that because I I haven't been in the league for 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 many many months or years. Uh, there's places I haven't been to yet, like Halifax. I hear it's a great facility, great place great fan base um and 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 it's a good place to play at i haven't been in hamilton so it's it's premature for me to um uh to talk about that now one of the play i could tell you places i don't like to go to um and edmonton's one of them you know it's uh it's just a a, a bit of a, a a personal thing and and uh for some reason, there's something there. I don't know if it's the facility, the stadium. The, I just it's a it's a place that is uncomfortable. So uh, apart from that, it's uh, you know uh, there's we we like we like when there's good crowds because we also feed off that. I don't think there's any facility that has a hostile environment. They have good fan base and and um and when you go and you play in front of five six thousand people it's always something that even the away team could feed off so um yeah uh, to answer your question not really uh christian i'm i'm good uh, i'm good to go play the game and come back out and 
and and and I love playing at home. I just love the energy that we get from our fans. I love the facility. I love the fact that the field is big, the stadium is big. Uh, it suits our our style. So um, so I would answer more like that. You know, I like to play at home. Fair enough. All right. Well, Philip DeSantos, appreciate your time. Good luck this weekend. We'll check in later on the season. Christian, thank you very much. Anytime, okay? Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. Day.